You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part three of a series in the Book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter four, verse one. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how are they regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk, their bodies were more ruddy than coral, the beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognised in the streets, their skin has shrivelled on their bones, it has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire on Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honour was shown to the priests, no favour to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching we watched for a nation that could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near, our days were numbered for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. We pause at the end of Lamentations chapter 4. Now, if you've been listening to this series already, you'll know that the Book of Lamentations comprises five separate poems, uh, and uh, they may have been written by one person, perhaps the prophet Jeremiah, that's what tradition says, although I think the evidence for that is quite limited. 
but certainly someone who was alive at the time of Jeremiah uh, after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 586 BC. And this fourth poem in the sequence uh, certainly talks about that destruction. Uh, in the first three chapters, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem is, is in the past and uh, people are reflecting on that and observing the city as it is when it's destroyed. In these chapters four and five, it, it's closer to the present tense, the uh, depiction, the eyewitness account of the destruction. It seems like this is someone who was probably there at the time. And uh, as with all of the chapters of this book, there are two common features. There is sorrow and lament at just how bad the situation is. In this chapter, we see nursing infants who are parched uh, with, without drink. We, we read of cannibalism, mothers eating their children. It's a horrific thought, and of course, one which the world is sadly all too familiar with, even today in the 21st century. But the other feature that runs through the book is the recognition that this is God's just judgment against his people Israel. It is God who has brought this about. And he has done it, this chapter says, because of his judgment on the unjust priests and elders and rulers amongst God's people. Those people who were guilty, uh, perhaps not literally of being having blood on their garments or shedding the blood of the righteous, verse 13, but they did that indirectly by neglecting the justice for people that the law commanded the law of God. They carried out sacrifices, bringing the blood of animals, but yet they were guilty of the blood of the people of Israel, the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind, verse 14 says, through the streets, defiled with blood. People said, away, like lepers, keep away from us. And the fact is, of course, this was God's judgment for the sins of his people. He's not going to honour them, verse 16. He scattered them. The people looked in vain for a, a nation that might deliver them. Verse 17, if you read the accounts of the decline and fall of uh, the kingdom of Judah uh, at the end of Kings and in the book of Chronicles, you'll see that uh, they tried to do business with, with Egypt at a, a certain point or tried to manipulate the, the situation between Egypt and the Babylonians, sometimes trying to woo Egypt, sometimes trying to uh, work with the Babylonians, but there was no nation to save them once Nebuchadnezzar came on Jerusalem in 586. They were swift pursuers, swifter than the eagles, verse 19. They captured God's people. And there's not much hope in this chapter. We saw in chapter 3 this beautiful description of the faithfulness of God, the expression of confidence in God's coming deliverance and reversal of the fortunes of his people. But there's not a lot of that in chapter 4. And just as we saw in chapter 1, chapter 4 ends with the hope that one day God will reverse it. But very specifically here in chapter 4, looking at Edom, the nation, of course, neighbouring uh, Israel that was descended from Esau, the brother of Jacob. And so these related nation, though, whenever Judah fell, Edom, which had for a time been under the rule of the kings of Judah, certainly going back to the time of the united monarchy under David and uh, Solomon, 
well, this nation of Edom was rejoicing and facilitating and, and benefiting from the destruction of Jerusalem. But God says the cup will pass to you too, verse 21. That cup, although it doesn't say it explicitly here elsewhere in the Old Testament prophets, it talks about the wrath of God being in the cup. The cup of God's wrath will come around to the nations. They will drink. God has poured out his wrath on Jerusalem, his just and righteous anger. Not a popular thought today, the anger and justice of God, but it's a vitally important biblical truth. God is angered, has wrath against human sin. But that wrath of God will come around to the nation of Edom in their time. They too will be punished. Their sins will be uncovered. Verse 22. Just a, a side note, by the way, that image of the cup of God's wrath I think is what's behind the Lord Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath that we deserved. Now that's not uh, prophesied here in Lamentations 4. It's not there at all. But how could we read these things without thinking of that, without thinking of how we have been delivered from the judgment of God? And so, yes, there will be times of sorrow and it's appropriate that we lament. I've been saying that throughout this series. We need to recapture true lament, lament that is not just grumbling about our situation to one another or playing that story of negativity over in our minds, but expressing it fully to God, but recognising within that God as the just judge, trying to recognise our own sin and its consequences. But from a Christian point of view, of course, recognise too that our sin has been dealt with on the cross of Christ and our hope is in him. Let's read on then into the final chapter of Lamentations chapter 5. Remember O Lord what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and we and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us. For we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? 
Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. That's the end of our reading of the book of Lamentations as we get to verse 22 of chapter 5. And this last chapter, although we don't see it in the English version, is a little bit different from the other four. All of the other four chapters are acrostics. Each verse, or in one case, each set of three verses begins with one uh, Hebrew letter in the Hebrew alphabet and it follows the alphabet in sequence, but not this final chapter, even though it too has 22 verses. And uh, as we've seen throughout the book, again, in this final poem, there is uh, sorrow, there is this painful, difficult to read description of what has happened to Jerusalem and to Judah, the raping of women, the hanging up by hands of princes, the uh, forced labour of young men, the loss of joy, verse 15, the turning of dancing to mourning, but also the recognition, verse 16, that these things have come as a result of their sin and the sin of their fathers, verse 7. This is God's just judgment. But at the end of the, the poem, it says, Lord, you reign forever. There is a declaration of confidence in who God is. We saw the great declaration in chapter 3 of God's faithfulness and his daily mercies, the hope that comes from putting our hope in him, the hope that his covenant love never fails and here the recognition that God continues to reign God's throne is not diminished or removed God is sovereign but of course the painful cry that comes with that how long Lord or why do you forget us forever why do you forsake us for such a long time the prayer for restoration and renewal verse 21 and this little word in verse 22 unless You've utterly rejected us and remain utterly or exceedingly angry. Of course, the writer is expressing how things truly feel. He knows that God reigns, but he wonders, has God given up on his people? It lacks the confidence of chapter 3 that God's covenant love will never be broken. In chapter 3, we see that, uh, that acceptance of the promises of God here in chapter 5. It's just a recognition that God rules, but does God care any more for us? Well, of course, the answer is that he does. God did remain faithful and does remain faithful to his promise. He did restore the nation. He brought them back from exile. He allowed the, the, the temple to be rebuilt. And not only that, ultimately, he sent the Lord Jesus to be our rescuer. Again, we read this. As Christians, knowing how the story unfolds, we don't need to ask whether God has utterly rejected us. When we feel that way, we look to the cross and we see the Lord Jesus hanging there for our sins. The declaration of God's love, of God's justice and God's faithfulness to us. We trust in him. The God who is not only sovereign, as chapter 5 tells us, but who is the covenant faithful God of chapter 3. There will be times in life of darkness and of sorrow. There will be times when we wonder where God is. 
these laments, both in Lamentations and in the book of Psalms, give us words to express those emotions and we should express them to God. But as we do so, let's then move from that place to a place of of recognising the reign of God, the faithfulness of God, the covenant goodness of God towards us in sending his Son to be our Saviour. The assurance from God that nothing will separate us from his love in Christ Jesus. We need to be honest about our sins. We need not only to see ourselves as victims. If there's anything that the Book of Lamentations does, it's to challenge the victim attitude that seems to so often dominate in our modern culture. And I say that gently and tenderly, because if you've been a victim of injustice or abuse, that is a great sorrow that you bear. And it's hard to bear, isn't it? When you feel that inside that there is something unjust but we are not merely victims. We need to realise as we bring those that sorrow for our victimhood before God that we too are sinners. Not in the way that Lamentations does, because in the case of Lamentations, the sorrow, the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem was a direct result of their sin. I am not saying that's true in your case. Your sorrow may be inflicted by someone else. You may be the innocent party. But you do need to recognise too that in other ways you have sinned against God. And so you're more than a victim. That might sound bad, but it's actually a good thing to realise that we are responsible before God. Because you cannot receive forgiveness for someone else's actions of sin against you. They must seek that for themselves from God and God will judge them justly and you can be confident in that. He still reigns. And just as we saw in the in chapter four, uh, as they, that poem ends with the prayer that Edom would be destroyed, God will bring justice on those who have wronged you. But you cannot be forgiven for their sin. You can be forgiven for your sin. So confess it to God. Admit to it. Receive his restoration. Rest in his great promise that his faithfulness endures forever. That his mercies are new every morning. Pour out lament to him. But let the Holy Spirit at work in you turn that lament into trust and faith. Perhaps even into praise. There is a time, and the book of James says it, to turn our rejoicing to sorrow and our laughter to to mourning and our dancing to weeping it doesn't use exactly those words but that's the idea whenever we recognize sin in ourselves that's what we need to do this poem lamentations chapter 5 says our dancing has been turned to mourning the joy of our hearts has ceased but as you discover the forgiveness of god as you discover the the, the, the wonder of the cross, as you gaze on the Lord Jesus hanging there for you, as you realise that he rose from the dead victorious over sin, Satan and the grave and death itself. And as your confidence is in him, you will find joy restored, joy growing in your heart, knowing that God is good, knowing that God is faithful discovering God's mercy even in your weakness, even in your sorrow, even in your lament. 
trusting in God to put all things right and holding on to his promise as you continue to live for him. And as you do that, you might even find that your mourning turns into dancing. I pray that would be your experience. Let me pray for you now as we conclude this series. Father, we thank you for your word and for all of its diversity of tone and of content. And this book of Lamentations is not the easiest of reads, and yet it is honest and it is real about the sorrow of your people at the destruction of Jerusalem. We thank you that within that we find words that might express our own lament and sorrow. But we find also promises that you reign that you are faithful, that you will restore and renew. Father, we need to hold on to these promises. I pray that in our lives you would restore the joy of your salvation as we appreciate the much greater understanding that we have. We don't live at the destruction of Jerusalem. We live after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We see how your story was completed. We see the ultimate pledge of your faithfulness and goodness, your love and your justice as Jesus dealt with our sins. He became the one who became like Jerusalem at the time of this book, People walking by, not seeing, not understanding, mocking, looking and thinking he was weak. And yet through his weakness, suffering and death, you have brought our redemption. And so, Father, at the times, rightly or wrongly, when we feel like the people of Jerusalem felt exposed, put to shame, neglected, even under the judgment of our own sin or simply suffering because of the sins of others, in all of those times, may we turn to you and may we find that you replace our mourning with joy as we trust in your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.